following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. How are we doing today? Everybody doing good? Good. It's good to see y'all. Um, we want to talk a little bit about um, compassionate conviction. So, so uh, Pastor Corey mentioned that we have uh, a set of values, six in all, that we hold very dear. Uh, we really, really, really hold the line on these values. We believe that they're going to be uh, very instrumental to what we do as a church and what we're trying to accomplish uh, by God's grace in our particular area uh, of the city. Um, and so one of those values is the ideal of compassionate conviction, speaking Jesus's words in Jesus's way, speaking Jesus's words in Jesus's way. Now, this is a this is a conviction, no pun intended, of mine that has been that has been crystallizing that has been forming more and more as the years have been progressing. Um, and it and it probably probably came to a head this past year. There has been no other time in my life that I thought Christians need to hold the line as it relates to this particular value, speaking Jesus's words in Jesus's way. If you want to get more particular, I'm talking about the 2016 election year. There were more gospel opportunities forfeited in the 2016 election year, not because of who you voted for, that's irrelevant to me at this point, but because of how you talked about who you voted for and how you talked about the other if they didn't vote for the person you voted for. And so in the midst of that, what we, what we found is that people very much had conviction. Oh, we, we had conviction, but we didn't have compassion. We didn't have concern for neighbor. We didn't have love for the other side. We just simply tossed grenades and then before, before the, you know, you would pull the key and toss your grenade. You ever watch that movie? And before, before the grenade explodes, somebody picks it up and tosses it back over. And that's the kind of thing we were doing. We were just chunking grenades back and forth across, across the party lines at one another in the name of truth, in the name of conviction. But God has another way. I believe it's a better way. It's the ideal of compassionate conviction. It's the ideal that it's the, it's the very it's the very manner in which Jesus came to us. John one says that Jesus came in grace and in truth. In other words, with with unmerited unmerited compassionate favor and in truth he came. And this text that we're actually looking at right now is only just a breaking point for us. We're going we're gonna to pull some things out of this text, but I just want to spend some time talking about words today. I want to spend some time talking about words. Everyone in here is pretty familiar with words, right? You use them all the time. But I want to talk a little bit about four things as it relates to words. I want to talk a little bit about the power of words. I want to spend some time actually delving into the use of our words. And then I want to spend some time talking about the cause of our words. Where, do the, where, where does the way that we speak, where does it actually come from? And then finally, I want to spend some time talking about help for our words. So 
Let's start, let, let, let me just start with this simple question, right? So you, 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 you talk all the time, right? Everybody, everybody, can, can, can we attest to that? You got you to talk all the time. Show of hands, well, actually you don't, because I, I don't want to incriminate anyone this morning, but how many people in this room have said, has said something in the last 30 days that you deeply regret? Amen. <laughs> Ms. Burr's like, I don't care. <laughs> Listen, man, I, I amen, right? The last 30 days, something that you deeply regret, something that you said, man, I wish I could have that one back. Maybe it was in traffic when you said, you idiot. Oh, man, I, I didn't realize that guy was, man, I think I gave that guy one of our invitation cards to come to City Light. <laughs> how, about, how about the last two weeks? Said something that you deeply regret. How about the last, how about the last, how about the last week? You said something that you deeply regret. Words are tricky, aren't they? We, we have a really tough time keeping the control of this tongue. And I want to try to see if we can figure out why this morning. Let's talk a little bit about power of words. Words, words are powerful for a couple of reasons. The, the one reason that words are powerful is because they reflect our similarities with God. They reflect our similarities with God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 is the, where we see the origin of words in our creation. God was the first to speak words in our creation, wasn't he? Let there be light. So the origin of words came from God himself. And, and out of God's love for, for man, he said in verse 26, let us make man in, 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 our, in, in our image and in our likeness and and when he made man in, our, in, in his image and likeness, we see that God gave man the ability to speak words. Something that, something that is unique from all other species, right? Some of you guys are saying, well, you got parrots. Come on. I'm, I'm talk, I'm, I'm, come on. I'm talking about a little bit more than parrots, all right? The ability to speak words is representative of our likeness to God. The fact that we were created in his image and in, in his likeness. One of those ways is the fact that we have words to speak. And so because words reflect our likeness with God and because God himself owns the medium of words, we would do well to pay attention to what God says about them, right? He owns them. He started them. He gave us that ability, but, but, but it's an ability that comes directly from him and is not associated with any other being or any other species, and so we would do well to pay attention to what he says. So words are powerful because they reflect our similarities with God. But words are also powerful because they capture or encapsulate our redemption in Christ. Our Savior, the Bible calls him, John chapter 1, the word in the flesh. We'll get in John in a few months from now. But our Savior is called the word made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? The Word became flesh. Jesus is considered the incarnate Word. Now, that, that's, that's a powerful statement to make about words when you, when you compare and you liken Christ and you, and, you, and you tie him to the ideal of words. The very fact that self, the self-expression of God is found in Jesus because that's what words are. They're the means by which we express ourselves. But not only is 
Jesus tied to words, but also our salvation is tied to words. Because how is it that you get saved? You get saved by hearing a message that comes through words. The good news of Jesus Christ is associated with words and transmitted through words. And not only, not only is your salvation and justification tied into words, but also your sanctification, your continuing ongoing growth and maturation more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ is tied into words. You say, well, how so? Well, guess what? We're, what are we doing this morning? We are listening to a preached word. And hopefully, hopefully this will in some way play into your sanctification and play into your growth. But, but not only does this continue or this um, in, increase growth for you, but also group-based group based Bible studies where you get together and you do what? You use words. One-on-one discipleship, when you get together and have a cup of coffee with one of your friends and you guys open up the scriptures and you use words. Personal Bible study, when you open up the Bible by yourself and you begin to read words. How many of you saw them, seen the matrix before? <laughs> That's an abrupt transition, right? <laughs> Bible study matrix. Anybody seen it? <laughs> in the matrix, there is a, it's a sci-fi movie for the, for the uninitiated in the room. And, 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 and what happens in the matrix is the, the character, the protagonist, Neo, finds out that he has been living an entire lie all of his life, that the world that he lives in is not exactly the real world, that the world he lives in is a fake world that's actually being transmitted to him. He's actually just sitting down in a, in a vast incubator of sorts or a vast room full of incubators of sorts where he's sitting in a pool of fluid and there's a jack plugged directly into his brain that's uploading information to him. And Neo learns all kinds of stuff in this movie. He learns how to do karate, right? They say, um, he says, I want to learn kung fu, and then they load kung fu into his brain. Neo says, I want to learn how to fly a helicopter, and they load helicopter lessons into his brain, and he immediately, within seconds, learns how to fly a helicopter. God could do that. He could, right? He could be like, John, the whole, whole entire gospel of John right now, boom, just load it up. Or he could say, complete and total sanctification and just load it up, boom, and all of a sudden now you're mature, you're wise, you're walking this thing out, you're humble, you're loving, you're sharing all your goods with people, just immediately flash and, and a snap of the finger. But he doesn't do that, does he? What does he do? He uses the gift of words. Progressive patient, deliberate usage of words to bring you to his expected end, to bring you to sanctification. Words are powerful. They capture our redemption in Christ. But not only are words capturing our redemption in Christ and reflecting our similarities with God, but words are also influencing those around us that are created in the image and likeness of God. Paul Tripp once said, a, a great pastor that I love to hear preach, he once said that practically all of your words are directional. All of your words are directional. There are no words that you use that are neutral. They're going somewhere. They're either going in a positive direction, benefiting yourself and those around you that hear those words, or they're going in a negative direction, 
not benefiting you or the people that hear them. But they're going somewhere. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the words like duh and uh. I'm talking about actual words. They're going somewhere. Does that make sense? And so words have influences on people. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about it all the time. The Bible speaks of it in Proverbs plenty of times. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. With his mouth. Words moving in a negative direction. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. It gives life to those that are around. Proverbs 16 and 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. Gracious words are like medicine, like sweetness to us when we hear them. We need good words to be spoken to us, don't we? Has anyone ever seen the course of lives and relationships and friendships altered? with just one poorly misplaced or displaced sentence? Maybe it's the father that tells the son that you'll never be nothing. And I can say that because we're in the South. I can say it like that. But it lingers, doesn't it? Maybe it's the husband that utters the unthinkable words, it's time for a divorce. And maybe we hadn't even thought about it up until that point, but once it's on the table, all of a sudden everything changes, doesn't it? Words are powerful. Words can impact us. I remember a name that I was called as a kid, and it'll never leave me. I'm not sharing it with y'all because y'all might start calling calling me that. It hurt my feelings, but I remember it, and it's never going anywhere. And I, was, and I was called that when I was like in second grade. And it's not going anywhere. I remember the wounds associated with that name. I remember the hurt associated with that name. It's not going anywhere. Think about what it did to you to have people say to you some of those things that they said to you in the, in the past 30 years, 40 years. There's some things that you have always held on to. And it's because words carry the power to influence people. So we got to think about how do we wield this power, right? How do we use this power rightly? Because it is power that is in our mouths. The Bible calls the, calls the tongue a fire set ablaze by hell. It is a powerful vessel. So how do we use the power rightly? Ephesians 4. We use it in a couple of different ways rightly. The very first verse that we talked about was verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. For whom the body, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so one way that we can use it is that we can use it to grow us in Christ by lovingly telling us the truth about God or by lovingly telling others the truth about God. 
speaking the truth in love, lovingly telling people the truth about God. Our words are are the key tools made available to us in combating false ideas about God. Matter of fact, in in the verses that precede this, it's talking about the appointment of the offices and and ministries in in the church. And he talks about the apostles and the prophets and the pastors, the teachers and and the evangelists. And he he speaks of all of these people saying that, so I'm saying that until we, I'm sorry, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And then he says, rather speaking the truth in love. And so here's the idea. The ideal is, is that there are a lot of philosophies in this world. There are a lot of schemes in this world. There are a lot of teachings in this world. Some would say that God doesn't even care about sexuality. Some would say that God doesn't care about morality. And some would say that, 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 that God doesn't care about um, whether or not black and white fellowship together. And some would say that God doesn't necessarily care about whether or not, you know, how um, how you deem and view success in this life and, and, and all of these different things. And so we use words to correct that. But we use them a certain way. We don't just simply speak truth, but we speak corrective truth with love, undergirded by love sustained and kept by love. We correct the fact that there is no ideal of righteousness by calling people to the righteous God and showing them his reflective nature and character, but we do so lovingly. We show that there is intention in sexuality, that God has given clear intention in sexuality, but we do so lovingly. We show that God does define what ultimate success looks like, and it's not how much money you can accumulate, but we do so lovingly. We must not be ashamed in sharing gospel truth. That's undebatable, but the real question for us in our climate is are we sharing that truth in love? What does that even mean, right? Sharing the truth in love. What does that even mean to us? Well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me ask it another way. Do you work equally as hard to speak lovingly as you do to speak truthfully? Do you work and labor equally as hard to speak lovingly as you do to speak truthfully? Are the people you're communicating with and or about able to tell that you actually love them and care about them. Does the, does, the, does the young lady who's experienced abortion and, 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 and has, has wrestled possibly even with another one at this present time, does she, as you are calling her to the truth that God has indeed created the baby that exists in her womb and it is precious in his sight, does she know as you are communicating that truth that you love her. 
Or does she just think that you're about being right and standing on your high horse? Is that young man that's living in that homosexual lifestyle a recipient of love and compassion even as you speak about the truth that his lifestyle cuts against the grain of God's law? Does he know that he is loved? Or does he feel like he's the butt of your jokes and the object of your judgment, unfair judgments and unfair ridicule? Does he know that he's loved even as you are communicating gospel truth to him? Not only do they know, do you, can you even tell that as you speak to them, you love them? Can you even wrestle with that and say that, yes, as I am speaking, I actually am coming from a place of love? Or, or do you fear like I fear that sometimes as I speak about truth, that maybe it's not about them at all, it's about me? Now this I say, verse 17, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. I'm sorry, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to, be, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What becomes clear moving from 17 through 24 to verses 25 through 32 is that in the new birth, the spirit, as he runs his course in us, should ignite change in every, every, every single area of your life as it relates to social engagement, engagements and social interactions and relationships, including the way you speak to one another. So, so he gives you a bunch of things about behavior and social relationships and engagement in verses 25 through 32, but that doesn't come before he begins to talk to you about this new life that has come. Meaning that because the new life has come, there should be change in the way we speak. Not just changing, you know, I don't abuse alcohol anymore. Fantastic. Not just changing, I don't, I don't, I don't abuse sexual relationships or, 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 or I'm looking for one wife, one husband. Okay, fantastic. But also, I don't speak the way I used to speak. I don't talk the way I used to talk. Not just cuss words, that's easy. I don't talk to people the way I used to talk to them. Because I, now I see myself as a recipient of so much grace and so much mercy that I have no room to harshly judge anybody else. So when you get into verses 25 through 
through 32, you see a couple of things real quickly. You see that our words are being used to breathe graceful truth. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not, the, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. It continues on about the thief and robbery. And then in verse 29, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So he says, listen, you're speaking truth. You're not speaking, you, you, but, but, but the truth that you're speaking, putting away falsehood. In other words, now that, we're, now that we're in Christ, falsehoods leave. We now speak truthfully to one another. We speak honestly and authentically with one another. But even as we speak it, we're letting no corrupt talk come out of our mouths. And you say, well, what does corrupt talk mean? And some would limit it to dirty words. And that's cheating the text. Are you, are you following me? If you limit it to the F-bomb or the S-word and all that kind of stuff, you are absolutely cheating this text. Because some of us have far greater, far greater ways to use words that will make the F-bomb, um, you know, kind of cower back in fear. You are cheating the text. What he's talking about when he talks about corrupting, corrupt words or corrupting words, the, the, the word itself in the Greek means rotten. And it's talking about words that decay, tear down, break down. And you can see, you can see the, 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 the par- or not the parallel, but you can see the opposite gives, gives credibility to that understanding of that, of those words. Because the opposite says what? Instead, instead of speaking this way, that, that is rotten and tears people down, you should speak in such a way that is good for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear. Unmerited favor to the people that hear. Every single person in this room, every single person that you go to work with, every single person that you drive in your vehicle or drive by in your vehicle on the way to your job that you've already, you know, you're already late for because you spent a little extra time, you know, drinking coffee this morning. So now you're mad at the person that's driving in front of you who's driving the speed limit, by the way, but you're mad at them because you have to have that extra cup. Every single one of those people are candidates of grace. You're supposed to speak grace to them, unmerited favor to them, undeserving favor to them. Use our words to breathe not only graceful truth, but use our words to breathe merciful truth. Verse 31. When we talk about graceful truth, we're talking about words that build up regardless of merit. When we're talking about merciful truth, we're talking about truth. We're talking about words that 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 breathe mercy regardless of wounds. One's one is regardless of merit. Right. The other is regardless of wounds. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now listen to this. Listen, notice the ordering. The ordering begins with heart issues. 
And then he follows with word issues. Bitterness, anger, wrath. Put it away. And in so doing, put away what else? What else? Clamor and what else? And slander. Listen, what is clamor? Anybody even know what that means? It's an interesting word, right? Loud. Outrage. Right? Put, put it away. Put, put it away. But what do you have to put away first? Bitterness, anger, and wrath. Why? Because bitterness, anger, and wrath normally leads to outrageous talk, right? We're not outraged, you know, going to Chuck E. Cheese, right? We're, 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 we're outraged, you know, because Chuck E. Cheese, gave, for the second time today, <laughs> gave me a cold pizza. And so now I got to talk loud and let them know how mad I am. He says, put that away. Put that away. Slander. Where does slander come from? Bitterness. Right? Slander. What is slander? It's speaking both truthfully and falsely. Right? In an insidious way. In other words, in a, in a, in a secret, almost like kind of underhanded way to others about someone else that brings negative light to the object of your talk. So, I'm angry, right, because Matt did something to me. And, and I'm angry about it, I'm, I'm fuming about it, right? And I'm angry and I'm bitter now because I've let anger just kind of simmer and I haven't done anything with it, haven't dealt with it, haven't taken it to the throne of Jesus and, and haven't, haven't, haven't put my own self at, at, in, in Matt's shoes, and, and so now I'm angry, and now I'm angry, and I'm angry, and, and, and Miss Burke, let me tell you, let me tell you what Matt did. Let me tell you, you won't believe what Matt did. Let me tell you. That's where it comes from. Are we tracking? That's where it, that's where it comes from from me. Bitterness, anger, but Wrath leads to slander, and it leads to clamor. Now, here's what's interesting, which leads us to our next point, the cause of our words. In order to get control of our words, we have to begin to ask ourselves what drives us to use the words that we use in the way that we use them. And we just got a hint. But Jesus clears it up completely for us. Luke chapter 6. Let's turn there real quickly. The second two points are shorter than the first two. So don't worry. We're going to be all right. You're still going to get your lunch. Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. For, for no good tree bears good fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. I'm sorry, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the fruit of 
or the source of, the cause of, hypercriticism, judgmentalism, clamor, slander, gossip, rage talk, the source of it is directly in us, not outside of us. That messes with you because what you want to say is that the reason I said that, the reason I got loud, was because I'm mad. And Jesus is saying, no. The reason that happened is because of what's in here. The mouth is the microphone of the heart. Words give voice to your heart. Here's a, here's, so here's the uncomfortable secret, right? Is that the mouth is a heart issue. Words or the ill use of words is a heart issue. Matthew 12, it says, I tell you on the day of judgment, Matthew 12, 36 through 37, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Now listen. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. You say, Jesus, you're messing with us. I thought I was justified in you. So how is it that, wait a second, so now you're going to put all my words up on the screen, and you're going you're gonna to justify me with the, you know, you're going to, is that, is that how I'm going to be justified? The reason he can say that is because words are a reflection of the heart. And he's saying basically that, yes, you will be justified in me and we will know that you are in me when we plaster your words across the screen. And if there has been no reflection of grace in your words, there's been no reflection of mercy in your words, there's been no reflection of love in your words, there's been no reflection of holiness in your words, then we know the heart has not been transformed and submitted to me. This is not about calling every single sentence that you, bring into, you, that you bring up throughout your life, and now he's going to judge you on every single sentence. This is about a heart condition, a totality of words that he's saying, all right, if there is no change in words, no change in speech, then there has been no change in the heart because the heart itself is, or the words rather, in your mouth is the mouthpiece of the heart. Does that make sense? You tracking? So, a life that is demonstrating no change in the use of its words can possibly be indicative of an unchanged life. You tracking with that? That makes things really scary, by the way. Because I know a lot of people that change a lot of things and they don't change anything about the way they talk to people. But it could be indicative that even though you dress different, and even though you put aside a few things, it could be indicative that you still have yet to grab a hold of the gospel of grace. Could be. It's something to think about, right? It's something to wrestle with. It's something to say, Lord, search my heart, yeah. right? Search my heart. Because our words are a reflection of our hearts, the ability to control them and use them in grace-filled ways is a reflection of our love for God. 
Because the words are a reflection of our heart, the ability to control them are a reflection of our love for God. What, is, what does God say? Matthew 22, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might, right? All the heart, soul, and strength. Love neighbor as self. He says, love the, love the Lord with all your heart. He's telling us that out of the abundance of our heart, words flow, right? So the ability to love God with our heart is reflected in the ability to do what? Speak. Does that make sense? How we speak reflects love for God. <laughs> you know, I mean, here, here's, the, here's, the thing about, here's the thing about heart talk, right? A lot of us just want to keep heart talk, heart talk internal, right? I love Jesus. How do you know? Because I know it here, right? That's, that's, how, that's how we want to keep it, right? But Jesus is bringing it out some, isn't he? He say, he's saying, no, this in here is reflected out here. And so we know what's going on in here based on what's going on out here. Are you tracking with that? And so he pulls out what we want to keep in. And so obviously we need help. Which is where we close today, the help for our words. So, an interesting story in Isaiah chapter 6. Matter of fact, you can, you can turn there and we'll read it together. But, but Isaiah, let's put this on the, let's put this on, the front, uh, on the front of our discussion. Isaiah is way more righteous than any of us in this room, all right? Let's just put, the, put that on the table before we even start talking about him. He's way more righteous than any of us in this room. Isaiah is walking upright before the Lord, Okay? So if there is anyone who has a handle on his words, it's probably him. He's probably far better with words. You know, Isaiah's not going to be driving through traffic, cussing people out, you know, because they, because they swerved in front of him. You know, Isaiah has a handle, a much better handle on his words than any of us in this room. Any of us. Okay. And so we get to Isaiah chapter six and we read a vision that Isaiah is having or we read about a vision that Isaiah is having in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he, fed, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Let's continue and then we'll talk about it. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now notice there is not a single moment in the text that it refers to the heart. It refers to the mouth. But what is the implication? What can we draw from that? That Isaiah knows the same thing Jesus has been telling us. That out of my mouth is a reflection of my heart. 
And so Isaiah says, I'm not fit to speak for you because my lips are unclean. And, and, and that's, you know, <laughs> right? I'm not fit because my lips are unclean. I don't speak rightly all the time. I don't speak perfectly. I don't speak rightly to my wife all the time. I don't speak rightly to, to, to my children all the time. Not even close. I don't speak rightly to the person that, that, that calls me or, or that the, the, per, the, bill, the bill person that has made a mistake on my bill rightly all the time. Not even close. I don't speak rightly all the time. And so I'm in just as need, I'm in just as much need of help as Isaiah is. And so he says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among people of unclean lips. And so the angel comes, takes a burning coal, puts it on his tongue. He says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. In other words, I fixed your heart issue. Your heart has been made clean. So here's a reflection of what Jesus does. We're not speaking rightly, folks. There will be no day on this earth that you will always say the right things. And it's a heart issue. And so what Christ does is he comes and he takes the heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh. In other words, he cleanses your heart. Like the angel cleansing the lips of Isaiah. And he removes the guilt. He atones for your sin by dying on the cross in your place for every single word that you've ever misplaced and ever thrown, thrown into the wind. He's died for it, resurrected for it, ascended into heaven for it, interceding at the right hand of God for it. But not only does he, not only has he atoned for it, not only has he removed the guilt of those words, but he has also empowered you by the Spirit to speak right words now. And so you say, well, how do I do it? Well, you lean on him to do it, right? And you say, well, what do, what do I do, if I, what if, what, what do, I do if, I, if I say the wrong thing? Well, you go back to the cross again and you say, Lord, have mercy on me. Teach me what it means to speak rightly for you. And Lord, empower me yet again with your spirit that I may speak rightly for you. And you continue on and on and on and on. And there'll be days that you do great. And there'll be days that you do miserably. But Christ will be with you all the way. And the blood that he has shed will cover every single wrong word that you speak. Our words are powerful. Our words must be used for good. Our words are a reflection of what's going on in here. But our words are submitted to the Savior of the universe. And so there is forgiveness for our words. There is grace for our words. There is mercy for our words. There is help for our words. I've held you, I've held you a while, but let me give you a couple of pieces of application as you walk out of the door. 
as you're thinking about this. Number one, how can can I walk in this spirit-empowered speech, this this grace-filled speech, this redemptive speech that Christ has won for me? How can I walk in this? A couple of ways. Check your heart before releasing your tongue. Check your heart before releasing your tongue. Find out not what is going on on the outside of you, right, that gives you the right to speak, but find out what's going on on the inside of you that makes you feel like you have to speak. Are you tracking with that? You say, you don't understand what they did. Well, maybe I don't, but guess what? There was some stuff that Jesus got done to him. The Bible says he didn't utter a word. So find out not what's going on on the outside. Find out what's going on on the inside. Another application. See the people that you speak to as image bearers. See the people that you speak to as created in the image and likeness of God. They are his. And even more so, if you're talking about the church, see the people that you speak to as being redeemed by the blood of the lamb. They are your adopted brothers and sisters. Don't speak in absolutes. You always, you never, you're, you're, you're totally racist. You're the meanest person I've ever met. Unless they actually are, right? And so many times they're not. Don't speak in absolutes. Don't don't speak with negative assumptions. Speak with positive assumptions. The scripture says we should hope the best. That's what love does. Right? It doesn't immediately take the worst case scenario and apply it to the people that we speak to. It actually takes the best case scenario and applies it to the people that we speak to. And finally... See yourself on the receiving end of the words that you're speaking before you communicate them. In other words, before they come out of your mouth, think about you being the one that has to receive that. If you were receiving that, how would it make you feel? What would it do to you if you were receiving what you were about to say to somebody? What does it do for you? Does it, give you, does it give you grace? Does it build you up? Or are you like, yeah, man, I'm so glad you said that to me. Now I'm going out and conquering the world for Jesus. Does it do that for you? If it doesn't, you might need to hold off for a second. and Think about how do I communicate this with grace? Folks, we're all, we're all recipients of this grace, right? We're all recipients of this grace. And so we have to think about the fact that we have been redeemed under no merit of our own before we go out talking, right? Just marinate on the fact that we've been redeemed with great grace, great mercy, before we go out speaking to the world. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I love you. We love you. Um, Father, we thank you that there is help for our words. That even though sometimes they're, they're careless and we cast them to the wind, um, that sometimes we speak from anger, that sometimes we speak from bitterness, rage, hurt. 
Uh, Father, there's help for us, and there's helping you. There's helping Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for the redemptive work of your son, for the fact that he died, Lord God. He was buried. He resurrected from the grave, ascended into heaven, intercedes for us. Those facts, Lord God, ensure that even when we fall short in our speech, Lord God, that we have covering. Father, we ask and we pray, Lord God, that you would continue to, 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 to work in us by your spirit, Lord God, to enter into the world that we exist and to speak lovingly to those around us, Lord God. Father, let us, let us be showered or let us be, let us be filled with compassion for the people around us so that as we speak, it is not to boost in our intellect or it's not to be right or it's not, 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 to, not to pat our pride, Lord God, but it is, to, it is to lovingly lead people to the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we give you all the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.